Ladies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network to run through uh, some wrestle bits for the week. Um, if you've been listening to recent episodes of the show, obviously um, we haven't really been discussing wrestling in depth um, during this time of um, empowerment, this time of uprising across the country and internationally in the wake of uh, the killing of George Floyd, dedicating a couple of shows um, really to highlighting the voices that that need to be heard in this situation, whether it be Black Lives Matter supporters, Black Trans Lives Matter supporters, um... Just really trying to focus in on issues that are greater than what could ever go on inside of the squared circle. And um, while we are um, beginning this week moving back to some of our regular um, programming here on the show, um, I do want to take a little bit of time and, and shout out some great examples within pro wrestling of what we've seen in terms of uh, support and celebration of what we've been what's been happening you know obviously on, on WWE we didn't cover NXT takeover in your house um last week but uh Keith Lee and Mia Yim um showing solidarity through uh clothing choice and gear um along with uh Kofi Kingston and Big E of the New Day um Dropping to one knee and throwing up the uh, the Black Power Fist in the middle of a WWE ring. Something I <laughs> thought I would never see from a team that is positioned to be good in the eyes of how WWE wants fans to see them. Um, yeah, it was just powerful stuff. Powerful imagery there. Um, and yeah, I would say even beyond that the New Day's podcast that they did. Um, hell, Austin Creed, Xavier Woods, his the the video that he posted to Twitter um, a little over a week and a half ago, two weeks ago at this point, talking about his own experiences. Um, that podcast with the New Day or that video um, are great resources to check out um, to learn more about their experiences and how that you know ties into the the greater black experience in this country um, and how it's really informs a lot of these movements that we've been seeing that aren't stopping um, these, <laughs> these things aren't going away and to that end we hear this show we're not putting this down as my partner um, put it last week on the show we're not putting this down. We might not be talking about it every week, but an injustice against one is an injustice against all. And this fight is nowhere near over. Which means we're not stopping. We're not stopping. Um, you know, there was a big victory for LGBTQ rights in the Supreme Court this past week. And that's great. It's awesome. But that fight can't stop either. These fights 
for, to address inequalities in society and cultures. It's not a one and done thing. It's not a one legislation thing, and and it's gone. And I think a lot of people that picked it up in 2014 with Michael Brown and Ferguson, or picked it up with Eric Garner in New York City, or picked it up with Freddie Gray in Baltimore. They were they were so quick to let that fervor fall to the wayside the minute that a news cycle or or their own lives got in the way and you know it, it's it's really empowering to see that this time it's not the protest might not be getting as much news coverage on, on the mainstream sites but they're still happening. They're still pushing for change, and change is still coming. You know, as I'm talking right now, Atlanta, the Atlanta PD had officers walk out because one of their own was charged with felony murder for what ha- occurred in a Wendy's parking lot. Um, it was Rayshard Brooks, and. the message is getting sent we're going to keep talking about wrestling we're still going to be talking about these issues too though to that end though we (laughs) I feel bad (laughs) because we're actually talking about WWE backlash this week on the show um, with my guest um Daily DDTs and Bell to Bells's um, Patches Chance, and it's an odd thing to transition from talking about such important cultural issues to a show that was booked on a false promise <laughs> from the very get-go, and really ultimately has little to offer in terms of. Um, sustenance but you need both you need both um either way we're going to talk backlash this week and i just this is my promise to you and please hold me to this Just because we're not talking about this on the show every week, we're not letting it go. Black lives matter. Black trans lives matter. BIPOC voices matter. And that will never fucking change. Real quick before we get started, I just want to apologize. There are a couple of bits here uh, during our discussion where my audio kind of goes on the fritz for uh, a couple of seconds uh, here and there, so apologies there. Um, Flukes happen. (laughs) Um, Hopefully uh, things will be better next week, but yeah, do excuse.
What's up, guys? Guys and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and we are talking all things WWE Backlash today. And I am very pleased to have uh, join me on this journey into the world of the greatest wrestling match ever. Um, one Patches Chance from Daily DDT and Bell to Bells. How you doing today, Patches? Good. Thank you for having me back. Oh no, definitely. It's uh, it's been a blast. And and I will say this before we get into backlash, um it's it's interesting that the like the last time that you were on the show, we were talking about coronavirus. And then the next time you come on the show, like I I just by I asked you, Exactly. I asked you to come on and immediately after that another coronavirus story with WWE breaks overnight. Um so basically for those not in the, in the know right now, basically um, WWE had a announced that a developmental talent tested positive for COVID-19. That talent had not been at the facility in Orlando since June 9th, but because of that, they ended up scrapping their television taping schedule for Tuesday of this week and used that day to test all of their, uh, wrestlers and personnel, anybody at the, at the performance center in Orlando for COVID, which um, oddly enough is the first time they've tested anyone for COVID internally throughout this entire thing. Um, obviously there's been a lot of outrage um, and that even plays into conflicting reports we've seen about the, the crowd um, at raw the, the night after backlash where you know there were completely reports about there being a mask ban for the fans that they let into the building that were not contracted WWE um, wrestlers or employees and I don't know like at the same time WWE released a statement saying that they did not and no one wore masks at the show because they were effectively social distanced per the six feet rule Except but at the they same time Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you had like the crowd was mulling about multiple times, not to mention the fact that the street profits went into street, the crowd and high five yeah, people. Did their entrance through the crowd and Dominic Mysterio went through the crowd. Yes. So I'm curious, like obviously this has been a huge thing. Um WWE's been very secretive about what they're doing in terms of testing outside of Mojo Raleigh talking about it on his Twitter account. I'm curious to get your thoughts on the on this whole situation before we dive into the event itself. Um, what what's your take? It it's bad. It's more bad. Um, WWE should have been testing this entire time. If if they were going to continue to film like this, they should have been testing. And far from the perfect example, um, AEW has at least been testing. Um, and so they do at least get points for having done things more in the right way. Whereas WWE has been doing temperature tests, which there are now reports coming out that even those temperature tests, they were allowing people in with problematic temperatures on special yeah. circumstances because they wanted to film with them anyways. God. So what was the point of all that? It, it, it seems clear again that WWE does not care about the well-being of its superstars. It cares about public image, and profit margins. It, it doesn't want to appear that there's a problem so that things look good for them at the risk of everybody who's there. 
No, you're not wrong. I mean, that's I think that's definitely been a lot of the messaging of their actions, whether they haven't directly addressed those things, you know. And then yeah. the fact that they have cons- consistently um, – they've, they've acted like they've done all they can in a lot of ways. You know, like they, they keep saying that yeah. people have been tested without actually saying temperature checks at all the time. They're not really explicit about that in every statement that they have. Um, I know – like just the, the the logical fallacies of that statement about the like, in response to reports of the mask bans or the discouraging of mm-hmm. wearing masks on TV, like even yeah, if that's the which, case. Sorry, go ahead. There's a layer of there's a layer of pure irony to all of that in that they're selling masks yes. on WWE.com on shopwwe.com, and you'd think they'd want to advertise that and make money by having literally everyone wearing WWE masks. You would, yes, I mean that, you have everybody in that crowd already in WWE merchandise. Why not put them in masks and have and market that way? Like, if you're gonna go the direct capitalist route on this, like that's yeah, the way like, to go. And, and you're still putting it, people safety for a company on top. For a company that is so clearly worried about profit margins over people, they sure leave a lot of money on the table. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And another bit of that statement that really bothered me is the fact that um, we saw reports come out from John Alba down in Tampa, um, basically saying that reports from fans that they had to sign waivers to go into the building. And it seems like by signing that waiver, it was obviously I haven't seen the language of it, but I think it would be safe to assume that that would be some kind of liability waiver if someone were to be affected be affected by the coronavirus that's that's the impression of the reporting i've gotten is that that was basically uh if you come here and get coronavirus then we're not liable and you can't sue us yeah exactly i mean it's what a lot of corporate entities are doing right now when trying to open back up but i think like knowing that was in place and you have WWE's messaging being like, it's okay, we're all social distance. you don't need to wear a mask. Even if they weren't deterring people from wearing masks, their messaging like it makes it feel like there's a comfort level being in that building and that they are doing what they can to make you safe. And then immediately you throw wrestlers into the crowd. Like it, yeah, you are automatically you negating what that way you're supposed to get from. And also thinking about people that they're putting at risk that they don't need to, Ric Flair was there. Talk mm. about someone who's primely at risk, who was not at all needed for that segment. It, you know, you could have easily had Triple H or just have Orton do the whole thing himself and do something conniving. You didn't need him there. And considering, you know, a week prior, they had had someone there who had a positive test who was potentially exposed to any and everyone else who was there on Monday's taping. It, you're just opening up too much risk without any reason. No, I mean, you're, I'm right there with you. There's no reason why you should risk the health of, of someone, especially someone like Ric Flair, who is in yeah. a category of, of, you know, higher mortality when it comes to this stuff. So I don't know. The whole situation is just really muddy and it's muddied a lot of stuff for WWE this week. You know, they've had to adjust their entire yeah. taping schedule and, we don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if we're going to know how many intending, people tested. Yeah, I believe they were intending to test or to, to test. They were intending to take today, and that has also been canceled because the test results aren't back yet. Yeah. 
and they're having to wait on that. So fortunately for them, this came out after Raw and gives them until Friday before they have to air again, technically. Except I don't know what NXT is going to do tonight. I think that. I don't know if they're already, going live. I don't know if they're going live or if they've already taped, but it, it gives them at least until Friday to worry about SmackDown. Um, but yeah, just not great. Um, and not really, honestly, not really surprising considering the situ- the way they've dealt with things up until now, but still very disappointing. No, I'm right there with you. I think um, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if there's any anyone else tests positive and and see how they handle that situation. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, everything's still up in the air and developing, obviously. So we'll see. The next couple of days will tell a lot. Um, another quick tidbit I wanted to discuss with you before we get into backlash. Um, Evolve basically announcing via again announcing to talent in a private Facebook message that they are basically suspending operations indefinitely at this point. Um, there's been a lot of talk uh, with coronavirus, with the pandemic that evolve has been in dire financial straits and that they were in danger of going under. I know there's a, there are some people that still haven't gotten refunds from WWN, the parent company of evolve mm-hmm. shows that were scheduled for WrestleMania and basically you're accusing them of being thieves online. Um, what do you read for Evolve's future based off of what we've seen from, from Gabe Sapolsky himself and from other, from other people associated? So in a lot of ways, this reads as further condemnation of Gabe Sapolsky um, as a businessman and as a promoter. Uh, it, the amount of signals we'd already seen in the past that Evolve was not doing great and actions like Gabe wanting to basically pay people with WWE exposure. Um, There were already bad signs for Evolve. And it's sad that this company that has basically become WWE's developmental is now falling apart when WWE could easily prop them up. Um, and really, I think, almost serves as a uh, kind of a um, cautionary tale for taking on that kind of role with WWE, as some promotions in the UK and others have, um, as kind of being a partner without being a partner. They appreciate the benefit of being partnered with WWE and kind of having a pipeline to them. but. WWE is clearly not going to help them. They are not taking care of them. They are using them. And unfortunately, you know, as much as I'm not sad to see Gabe Sapolsky fail, honestly, it's always sad when independent wrestling fails. And losing a company like this is a net negative. But hopefully, in its void, better ones with better practices, with more inclusive practices will pop up and can fill that void. Yeah, I mean, it's fitting that you compare it to the other indies that have kind of become de facto feeder systems with WWE, especially mm-hmm. overseas at this point. Um, because we've seen a similar situation with progress, not necessarily in terms of the company um, suffering big financial hits, but leadership 
moving on in that way. You know, yeah. Sapolsky is uh, employed or works with WWE with NXT as well as mm-hmm. with Evolve. And, you know, we just recently saw, I think it was Jim Smallman um, leave yeah. Progress to work with NXT yep. UK exclusively. Progress basically had to rebuild itself from the ground up, as far as I can tell, um, yeah. because so much of their foundational system, both behind the scenes and a lot of their big names for NXT UK, which is not exactly thriving. Yeah, and, and I don't know, like it's just... It's becoming so much of a pattern, and you know, it's it's a pattern that goes back all the way to the Attitude Era in some ways. You know, um, it's just I don't know that this is WWE's brand since Vince McMahon took over. Is screw the little guy if it helps me. It's it's the way he made his mark by taking out the territories and really becoming the major player on the national scene. It's the way he made his mark in the Attitude Era by buying his competition and buying out to anybody who was a threat to him. And it's so they've evolved into doing it in different ways, but it's still the way they operate at their core. Yeah, and and I think it makes people very wary for the expansion plans that were at least on the table before all of the uh, COVID-19 stuff hit. I know that there's been some discussion about them, about WWE moving into Japan and Mexico and multiple other regions um, because of this. And I don't know, like knowing, seeing what's happened to evolve, do you think other companies will look to it as an example of, you know, maybe they don't want to get into some kind of like deal like that with, with WWE at this point? I, I do hope they'll take it as a sign, as another example of maybe this isn't the best choice. Um, but at the same time, WWE still is going to carry a weight as a company that is going to give them the opportunity to prey on companies in the same way. And um, I've been heartened by the fact that Japan has really resisted that, uh, which I think has a lot to do with the respect that those companies have for each other um, and not wanting to let a company like WWE and come in and try and take over as they would absolutely try to, if they could. Um, but at the same time, if the right company is in the right kind of trouble at the right time, WWE is going to take advantage. And I only hope that they can see that that is, not actually being saved by WWE, it's being used by WWE, and eventually, when you're in trouble, they're not going to save you. Hmm. No, I mean, like you said, it's definitely an MO, and hopefully, the trend will be recognized, and we'll see if if these kind of deals happen going forward. I'm curious about. I mean, I'm curious to see which company becomes the new Evolve in that role, because I, I mean, I feel like WWE. There's, they'll still have enough cachet within this country, at least, to try and work out a, a deal with another company in some way. Um, yeah, um, it feels like it would almost need to be a company on the East Coast. Um, yeah. One that wouldn't surprise me would be uh, Reality of Wrestling in Houston, um, just because Booker T still has such a good relationship with WWE and is constantly on programming 
whether it be pre-shows or WWE backstage. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know if that's a relationship he wants to connect in that way because he still does retain complete control of reality of wrestling. And he would be probably releasing some control to make a connection like that. But it'll it'll be interesting to see who they turn to as independent wrestling kind of gets back to some level of normalcy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be a very uh, interesting question to see what happens, or even if they try and do that again um, after Evolve's, the experiment yeah. with Evolve has is, is fallen the way it has. Um, I don't know. It's It sucks. It sucks because there's a lot of really great talent that's come through Evolve, and, mm-hmm. um, and you know, one less place to work is definitely a bummer. Especially yeah. coming out of this whole with the, coming out of the pandemic, so yeah, especially at a time when people are going to need places to work when things start to crank back up. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, um, that hour note. Let's go on to WWE Backlash, um, a show that was that had a lot of surprises for me personally. Um, I'll get your take. Like, what was your your um, overall thoughts on on the show to begin with here before we get into Um, the card itself definitely a little good and a little bad uh i was pleasantly surprised by a few things um i was understandably disappointed by a few things but overall not a terrible show um certainly a show that could have been a lot better though definitely um really one the first match of the night is one of those that kind of speaks to the point of things that could have been a little bit better. And with the pre-show match, uh, Apollo Crews defending the U.S. championship against uh, against Andrade. Um, in a match that really just kind of felt like running through the motions in a lot of ways, um, a little bit it, of story felt, development. Yeah, it felt like a raw match. Yeah. And not yeah. exactly one. Um, and I mean, that has nothing to do with Cruz or Andrade, both spectacular performers but they were only given seven minutes and change which is disappointing even on the pre-show because there's plenty of time on the pre-show um it it just feels like they could have done a lot more but they did what they could with what they were given exactly and and the fact that um the pre-show itself has such little time to devote to this match. Whenever we've seen people of the talent level, like Apollo and Andrade create these, these matches that have really exceeded expectations multiple times on the pre-show because I I think, I don't know, the pre-show carries, I think for the, for the average viewer, it carries a lowered expectation into it. So then whenever you throw the cruiserweight championship on those, on those uh, pre-show cards, or you throw a tag team match that actually has time to develop and tell a story mm-hmm. onto those cards, like it can be very pleasantly surprising. And I think yeah. that's what I was expecting from Apollo and Andrade, just knowing what they're capable of. And, and like you said, it's a shame that they really didn't have enough time to create something that could have been a little bit more memorable. Yeah, um, looking at the cards, there were only two matches that went over 15 minutes, uh, mm. and it feels like you easily could have given an Apollo and Andrade 15 minutes on the pre-show and really gotten something special out of them. No, oh, definitely. Um, but I am glad to see that they are continuing on with the Apollo experiment right now. Um, that's mm-hmm. a guy that's been incredibly underserved his time in WWE. 
so far. Um, I'm curious yeah. to see what happens now that Heyman has been removed from creative director on yeah. Raw. Um, so. I'm hopeful of they, they seem to be laying seeds of Apollo and MVP um, mm-hmm. and something there. And so I am curious to see where they go with that. Uh, I'm also kind of on the opposite side um, with Andrade. Um, it feels like they might be about to put Andrade and Andrew Garza on a tag team. And I'm not opposed to that idea. Um, both fantastic competitors who Zelina Vegas really kind of held that group together um, and made it something special every time they're on TV. Um, and unfortunately, the tag team division on Raw is a bit uh, light. And so them as a team would be kind of a fresh injection into that scene. No, they definitely would. I think like I think it goes back to um... – didn't they? I think they wrestled the Street Profits at WrestleMania. That might have been Austin Theory, and yeah, that, that, was, was, that was Austin uh, Theory and Angel Garza. Yeah, that was Theory and Garza because Andrade yeah. was injured. Exactly, and that was where we saw Bianca Belair show up inside with the Street Profits. Like you were building a little something there, and if you yeah. put Andrade into that mix, like those matches could be outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm all for that with you. I'm I I don't know. I feel so afraid that they just keep teasing this Andrade Angel Garza Zelina breakup from all from everything that's been happening over the past week. That I I don't know. I'm afraid for where those characters might go if that if that actually does happen. Yeah, yeah. I think they would all be better off together. Um, mm-hmm. But at least they're doing something with them. Yeah. Um, whereas, unfortunately, Bianca seemed to have been... They forgot that they put her on the roster. God. I just don't know why they make the decisions that they do sometimes. Um, yeah. Especially yeah. when you have a talent like hers, but it is what it is. Exactly. Um, and speaking of talented women... Ooh, speaking of talented women, um, that leads us into the first match of the show proper, where the women's tag team championships were on the line with Bailey and Sasha Banks, or sorry, Bailey Dostraps and Sasha Banks, defending the championships against uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross and Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, the Iconics, in a match that I don't know. Like the first, I watched I it multiple times. The first time I watched, I don't think it, it was a bad match. Yeah, obviously could have done more. Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, I think I, I the first time I watched it, I was I was more critical of it. I feel I don't know, just some something didn't sit right with me. And then the second time I watched it, I found a more like this is uh, this was all right. It was all right. I think it just it it underperformed in spots, um, but it definitely had plenty of bright spots. I mean, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross for all the doubts that I had when they put that team together last year, like they've exceeded uh, the iconics together I, are like hilarious. Yeah. I'm very happy. The iconics are back. Um, they're really a fantastic heel team. Um, and it's so nice to have them back in the mix. Alexa Bliss and Nikki cross. I, when they put them together, I was convinced, Oh, so if you keep them together long enough, it'll make it hurt that much more when Alexa betrays her and that'll get Nikki over as a face. No part of me expected them to still be together at this point, but they're fantastic. They've taken it, they've run with it, and they've made it a really special kind of adorable best friend team that is just lovely to watch every week. 
Um, and Bailey and Sasha are firing on all cylinders. Oh, yeah. No, like this, I will say, for as much criticism as I've personally thrown at the fact that they keep teasing out the the will they won't they break up angle with them um i never want this to end at least not right now um yeah um, together just money i i still so my original hope was that bailey and sasha would main event SummerSlam, and i think they absolutely can do it um i wish they could do it with a real audience i don't necessarily want them to right now um, yeah. because I don't think it's safe to have that kind of audience in the kind of venue that they deserve. But at the same time, I feel like continuing to tease it out runs the risk of kind of delaying it into the ground. Um, but as for right now, I am plenty happy to continue to watch Bailey Dose Straps enjoy her birth week with her birthday cake shaved into the back of her head <laughs> and Sasha Banks throw shade every time she talks. Yes. It's, it's a glorious image every time. Of course, Bailey and Sasha retain the titles um, and they're set to defend them multiple times over the next week. So we'll see, we'll see what they end up going with uh, down the line here as extreme rules is coming up next month. But um, yeah, that... and I was sorry. I was very pleased that they won. Um, even though I do want the Iconics to get the titles back at some point, I wanted Bailey and Sasha to win at least on Backlash because I want to see them face Tegan and Shotzi because I think that's a match that you could give 20 minutes and get something special out of. Easily, easily. Especially with Bailey and Sasha's history with NXT, like it makes total mm -hmm. sense to have them go back there with the straps. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That brings us to the next match and possibly the most controversial match, I would say, for the card, Sheamus and Jeff Hardy. Yeah. And... Um, boy, what a what a thing. Yeah. Uh, so this match was way better than this uh, mess of a storyline deserved. Um, they put together, I think, a decent match. Um and with solid work from both of them. Uh, unfortunately, it's one of the dumbest and kind of most offensive storylines WWE's done, probably since the peak of the Lana Rusev scenario, which is saying something. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw an angle, a TV angle, light up social media and literally pretty much every wrestling journalism publication all at once in that quick of a moment universally negative yeah so for those that, that aren't aware like jeff hardy has a long history with all and drug addiction and wwe decided to use that as a storyline where sheamus framed him for drunk driving and hitting elias his car um and then the go-home angle for this was that Sheamus wanted to force Jeff Hardy to take a test in the ring and then ended up having into his face by Jeff Hardy. An angle that was so bad it got edited off the West Coast feed of SmackDown. Yeah, with such wonderfully original creative writing, like it's better to be pissed off than pissed on. Truly, truly unique. Why are they? They make movies, though, Patches. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's debatable. 
Uh, depends on who you talk to. We're variety television. Anyway. For varying definitions of movies. <laughs> no, you're definitely not wrong. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, like like you said, the match itself was, you know, it was it was good. Like I enjoyed it. It was like you're it was a well booked match, I would say. The ending yeah. um, was dominant. It put Place Seamus in a spot where he could be pushed up to a higher profile feud. I think Jeff yeah, so, really. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I agree with the ending. I think it was not a bad choice overall to have a strong win for Seamus, considering he's probably going to push towards something. Um, but at the same time, this whole storyline would have been better without the terrible angle because it would have been very easy to have Seamus just attack Jeff Hardy and take him out of the tournament and win the battle Royal and take his spot. And then Jeff finds out that Seamus attacked him and goes and costs him the match. And then we get this match and Seamus wins and he moves on. But instead we got this weird DUI framed piss test convoluted mess. Um, And so, you know, Seamus being the dastardly heel who did these terrible things got his revenge. It 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 doesn't fit. Like I'm I'm happy for Seamus. I hope he does anything other than this from this point on. But it really the storyline that they wrapped it around didn't serve anyone. No, no, it didn't. And I don't know. It, it's almost like structured in a way that they're going to have another match, and and that's honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if something does happen at Extreme Rules, where considering you know Jeff Hardy's reputation tied into the theme of that show, I would not be surprised if you have Jeff Hardy get a win there, and then you have a rubber match at another pay per view, and we have a three month program out of this, and yeah. it's just going to increasingly get worse. Which again would have been fine without the storyline that they wrapped it in exactly like on paper i'm not opposed to watching seamus and jeff hardy beat the crap out of each other for three months but you don't have to do it this way no you don't have to offend the vast majority of your audience in doing so extremely insensitive to just real world real life issues that he is working on and moving past Mm -hmm. that just keep having to pop up because that's what they think is entertaining yeah, no, definitely. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know what kind of detour they can take with this storyline, but hopefully it'll help be toned down and we'll leave some of the stuff in, in the rear view. Um, but a program that is likely done now after Raw as well, um, Asuka and Nia Jax. Oh, I'm, we... I'm worried that it's not done at all. Oh, no. Um, Please yeah, tell me I'm, why I'm you think worried. that. Uh, because Asuka's win was oh god you're right a fluke win um and and here's the thing I have tried my hardest for a while now to give Nia Jax the benefit of the doubt I think a lot of the hate that's been spewed at her has been over the top and really vitriolic um that said she keeps making terrible mistakes um that are getting people injured and it's past the point that it can be ignored. And unfortunately WWE just sees that as, well, she's got heat. 
and so they continue to push her as a dominant heel. And unfortunately, after the double countout between Asuka and Nia Jax, I thought it was an okay match up until that point. Um, but finishing with a double countout and then having the match on Raw where Oscar or where Nijax just makes herself look dumb by pushing the referee and then getting rolled up and gets fast counted. Um, unfortunately, it feels like we're going to get something else, uh, probably at Extreme Rules. And if she injures Oscar, I'm going to throw something through a window. I might join you in that act, honestly, because like you're basically hurting the best thing you have going on Raw yeah. right now. In Oscar, whereas, no, whereas on the flip side, we could get Oscar against you know Bianca Belair or Liv Morgan or anyone else. No, I I agree. I think that's why I was so rapid rapid to uh, forget about the uh, the fast count on Raw and just hope yeah. that the thing was over. But as soon as you brought it up, I'm like God, it clicked back in. I'm like, no, this is going to keep going. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I, it feels like it will. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you on Nia Jax, though. Like Nia, I think, is someone who has gotten a lot of hate unduly, um, basically with with the basis of criticisms being things that honestly didn't have anything to do with her in-ring a lot of the time. But she has periodically put other wrestlers in positions where they are hurt. She has been proven to be unsafe in the ring multiple times. You know, we basically got word that they banned the buckle bomb after the what she did to Kyrie Sane last month. So yeah, and then proceeded to break Kyrie Sane's nose, I think. Yeah, or severely injure her at least. Mm-hmm. Roughly, uh, just about what a year and a half, two years after doing the same thing to to Becky Lynch to send her down this man route. Yeah, yeah. We can only so... hope that Kyrie Sane will get a push out of it somehow, but it, it's not great. No, it's not. And and Naya, I don't know what to do with Naya right now. I mean, obviously, there have been multiple people saying that maybe she needs to go back to developmental and maybe you know, she, go back down to NXT. But I just don't see that for her right now with the way the company looks at like at her. I I don't. I feel like what she needs is she needs more practice. And unfortunately, we're in an environment right now where that's a very difficult thing to get. Um because a lot of it just feels like mistakes. And to a certain extent, I can give some of that to ring rust because she was out of the ring for a while. She was injured for a time. But she just, it feels like she needs more reps. And NXT may be the way to do that, whether that's in, you know, practice at the performance center, which they're at all the time right now anyways, or just, you know, even if it's, she decides to go back to NXT and be the dominant monster again. You can have her work matches against the plethora of talent they have in NXT that hasn't even been on TV yet. And none of them are going to be hurt by losing to Nia Jax. And so I think there's ways to give her the chance to improve, but WWE has not really helped her along the way. And Unfortunately, it seems like rather than putting her in a position to succeed, they keep pushing her to the top and giving her the chance to fail. Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate. I just, I would, I would not mind to move back to NXT right now just to let her, just even if it's just to give her a run of squash matches like you were talking about, you know, like 
just something to help her realize like what exactly is going on like with her yeah. approach in the ring something has to change cuz there's just it's just not going to work long term if she doesn't no. learn how to to work um better and protect not even work better just protect the people that she's in the ring with at this point yeah so. and i've heard um the initial reaction to the last Kyrie Sane incident, the stairs incident, mm-hmm. uh, initially people were kind of being like, you know, mistakes happen, but apparently on replay, there was a good chunk of the locker room that was very upset about it. Um, that basically the way that she threw her, there was no way for Kyrie to get set to hit properly. And so again, it's Nia's mistake that has caused somebody to be injured. Hmm. Well, we just have to, I guess, keep hoping that um, the same fate does not befall Asuka coming out of this. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, But from one match that was disappointing to another match that was just, I don't even know what this was. Braun Strowman. It it was a disappointment from the (laughs) get-go. I will say the only thing that wasn't a disappointment was... Uh, well, I guess let me finish announcing the match we're talking about. Braun Strowman defending the Universal Championship against the tag team of John Morrison and The Miz. Um, in a handicap match in name only. Yes, in name only. Because, And I love that the only thing that I really found interesting about the match was the music video that played before uh, Braun came out. And only up until the point where they started singing. The minute that the singing came in, like I was, I was done with it because it just devolved yeah. into WWE's regular style of humor. But up until that point, like there was a little bit of lightning in that bottle, and they let it out. Yeah, it, it's disappointing because it, a lot of the stuff that I've seen Miz and Morrison do since they've been back together. So first off, I loved them as a tag team when they originally were together years ago. Um, and Morrison is actually a filmmaker and, you know, maybe not the best one in the world, but definitely creative and has the potential to do interesting things. And a lot of the stuff they've done since they've been back together feels like Miz and Morrison are trying to be fun and creative, but it's getting put through this kind of bland WWE humor lens and a lot of it's falling flat. And I genuinely worry that that's not even their fault at this point. That they're trying to be interesting and things are getting, you know, butchered in editing, basically. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that because, like, knowing Miz and Morrison, like, from their, their first run, as well as some of the stuff that Morrison has done outside of WWE for his time away mm-hmm. from the company, you know, you do see those elements there and their, their humor is definitely it. It sort of falls in line with the WWE in-house style of humor in a way, but it also deviates from it in a way that has was enough to differentiate itself back whenever the dirt sheet originally aired on WWE.com. Yeah. Um, and, but this stuff like s- dumping Nickelodeon slime onto people and, and, um, hanging out in a stakeout van trying to destroy Braun Strowman's car. Like, I yeah, don't know. Which, by the way, I do have to make a comment on Braun Strowman's car. 
Yes. I understand it is a classic. It does not look like a classic. It looks like an old car that he could get better of, that he doesn't fit in. <laughs> I was glad that you said it like, because I was <laughs> like, I, I feel like they'd be doing him a favor if they just actually destroy the car instead of just keep breaking the windshield because I think he could get something much better. No, it definitely could. I also love the fact that the, on the show there was a vignette arriving to the venue. Clearly, see on the front plate of the car, on the front plate on the grill car, and they keep calling it a Plymouth. I'm just like, yeah. I don't know. It confused. It just, it just made me like. I know WWE can be a bit of a bizarre world in terms of narrative sometimes, but that it just was weird to me. I don't know. Yeah. I am nitpicking it just, there. I don't know. It could be. It could be better, but the the storyline itself was kind of absurd and really not exciting going in um it was basically a triple threat match uh it was not a terrible match they they did what they could with what they were given um but hopefully it's over and stroman can move on to something else not not that stroman's particularly exciting right now to begin with but miz and morrison can now do something else hopefully yeah and I just I don't know like it it's very telling that this match was even on this card because it really points to the fact that they don't know what like who to put in that spot against Strowman at this point because obviously yeah. you don't want to go back to Wyatt so quickly but also right. what other strong like heel presence do you have on SmackDown right now other than AJ Styles who's in like embroiled in the IC a title picture at the moment. Yeah, the, um, it feels like uh, if if they don't do a match between Sheamus and Jeff Hardy at Extreme Rules, then Sheamus feels like the next most likely option to face Strowman. Um, but he, it's just very clear that they really don't know what they're doing with Strowman at the top, um, and are really not sure. And I don't see how giving Bruce Pritchard more responsibilities is going to make SmackDown better, but here we are. I mean, at least they're running all the shows out of the same building, so they don't have... There's more time to commit. I don't know. <laughs> like, everybody's in the same place to meet. I, I don't know. I'm trying yeah. to find a silver lining. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. But, well, or, unless they're going to give it... Like, is Corbin going to face him next? Oh, God. Are we gonna do I that? I completely forgot about Corbin. I also forgot that Corbin existed. <laughs> it's very easy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You could do that. I don't. I it's, it's, doesn't seem that interesting, but you could do that. I think Seamus is also, the next person. Yeah, I think Seamus is most likely. Um, I'd also be happy to see any heel take the title off Strowman, just because I want Otis to cash in on a heel and win. Yes. I don't even care who it is. I'd be into Otis that to too. Win. Yes, Otis. Otis needs needs the belt. I want Otis with that belt. I want to see him try and and I don't know. I just want to see him. I just want to see him with the belt. Yeah, it would be I'm nice. I'm not even sure if it lasts that long. Just give me the moment. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and give more awards to the writer um, 
who gave us the Mandy and Otis storyline because she has pushed Otis all the way to the main event. Yeah. Like who who would have who would have thought that coming out of this Otis Mandy storyline that we would have Otis like in the spot that he's in right now as a legitimate world title contender. It's crazy. I that's the, these are the things that I love about wrestling. <laughs> like it's just such a shame that they happen so rarely in this company at this point. Yeah. Unfortunately, <sighs> but we've got to we've got to appreciate them when we get them. Exactly. It does make you appreciate them more. Um mm-hmm. but Either way, Strowman retains. We'll see what happens going forward with him and whoever they decide to throw in against uh, on the other side of him at Extreme Rules. But that brings us to um, a match that su- was, for me, surprisingly really good. Uh, Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley uh, for the WWE Championship. Um, I think, to your point, talking about uh, Apollo Crews possibly linking up with MVP, MVP has breathed new life into this Bobby Lashley persona that we've seen in the, oh, the aftermath of the whole Lana Rusev angle. And it's really turned him into a legit contender in, in that way. And I, I'm not, I'm never going to complain about seeing two big boys get in there and just smack the shit out of each other. Like yeah, this match it was. was. It was a fantastic hoss fight. Um, Overall, I'm not shocked at what they can do because I've seen what they can do in Impact. Um, and from what I've heard, uh, Drew specifically lobbied for this match because mm-hmm. he knew what they could do. He knew he's worked with Bobby before. He knew what they'd be capable of if they were given the opportunity. And I'm glad they were given you know, at least 13 minutes and change to really give us something special, just the big boy Haas fight. Um, unfortunately, the end of the match was more Vince than it was. So I, I have heard that Heyman was instrumental in the storyline leading up to that point. So he may have played a role in helping them plot out the actual match itself. Whereas mm. the finish was definitely a Vince and Pritchard kind of call. Um, I was not really a fan of having Lana just come out and screw it up because it felt like it tainted an otherwise really great match, but still a great match. Um, and good to see Lashley, get a chance to shine like that again um, because he's definitely got the capability. He's definitely got the ability to do that. He just hasn't really, he's been given terrible booking almost entirely since he got back. Um, you know, going all the way back to the, uh, the Sami Zayn and Bobby Lashley sisters segment. God, yes. What a train break that was. Offensive yeah. garbage. God, offensive train wreck that I wish I could forget. Don't we all? All um, to your point, like the the impact comparison with them thing uh, there was, I think, very reticent. Like it felt like one of those impact matches that they had um, years ago, and even with MVP's involvement there now, like it really feels MVP is to me has been the unsung hero of. WWE during COVID He's been the MVP of Raw for a while. Yes. Yeah, With exactly. Maybe only Oscar. Yes. It's, it's a hard choice between the two. I really, I really hope this thing with Apollo and him develops into something because like, it really feels like um, that beatdown squad era. I think that's the name of the, of the, the group that MVP yeah, had in, in impact. Yeah. The beat, that, that beatdown squad era of impact where like the, I don't know, like, 
I loved that part, that little bit there. I think it ended way too soon. And I would love to see something similar on Raw. I don't know how that's going to look in the hands of Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> yeah, beat down Clan. Uh, beat down Clan. There we go. Yeah, which was uh, MVP Lashley and Shane Thorne, and uh, I believe uh, Brendan Vink, who was I think the other member of TM61 or TMDK mm-hmm. originally. Yeah, oh, um, Mikey Nichols. Uh, yeah, Mikey Nichols, who is then Nick Miller. Um, yes. But Brendan Vink is, I think, the one that they've got back with TMDK now. Yeah, he's seeming with they've Thorne added him now. back in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was Thorne and Vink, Lashley and MVP, uh, okay. during the Beatdown Clan period. Um, nice. And yeah, I'm I'm very happy to see them all back together. They all great competitors who are pulling really great things out of each other. Yeah. And, and I think, I don't know. I, I, with you, I didn't like the finish. Um, obviously it played into what we saw happen on raw Monday mm-hmm. night with the, I guess the ending of the, the Lana Lashley experiment or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And real quick. I do have to correct myself. So Wikipedia tricked me. Shane and Vink, <laughs> Shane Thorne and Brenda Vink were not in the original Beatdown Clan, but it is considering the group as rebooted now with them potentially part of the group because they did something on an April episode of Raw. Um, The original group was MVP, Kenny King, Lashley, and also included at times Loki, Samojo, Eric Young, Homicide, and Hernandez. Still great to see them doing stuff again. Um, It would be really interesting if he's cleared at some point to see Joe back in the mix with them. That would be very interesting. Now that you bring that up. Mm. Sorry, I got lost in thought there and how awesome yeah, that would but, be. But even if he isn't cleared at some point, I am very happy to have Smojo on commentary. Um, certainly uh, light years ahead of Jerry Lawler. Um, so, instant upgrade but joe has just been great and brings a fun intensity even when he's you know giving absurdist wwe lines like you know talking about having a ninja fight oh funny you should mention ninja fights (laughs) because that's where we're heading to next (laughs) jesus christ if we, if you de- if you did not know that Bruce Prichard was in sole control of the tele- of the major television programs that WWE you runs, do now you damn well sure do. Um, what was originally supposed to be the Street Profits defending the tag team champion, the Raw tag team championships against the in a novel, Viking Raiders, in a novel concept known as a wrestling match. Right, it's almost as if um, it's a, a competition that they regularly do on the show, but no one ever thought about having these two teams in a competition like that. Right, because let's do anything but that, because that's entertaining. Um, yeah, I feel so bad for Street Profits and Viking Raiders because they've clearly been given some really terrible stuff to work with, and they are trying their best to hit it out of the park and giving us some really comedic moments along the way. But unfortunately, their brawl devolved into Akira Tozawa in the latest 
racist WWE stereotype gimmick uh, showing up with his clan of motorcycle ninjas. Cause that's yeah. Now. Apparently so. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. Obviously, like, you know, in true, before you even get to the motorcycle ninjas, in true WWE form, um, they do not understand how humor works. They yeah. do not understand the fact that you don't have to explain the joke or repeat the joke over and over again in order for it to be funny. Right, and... but WWE has shown many times they assume their audience are morons. Oh, yes, exactly. That's why I think uh, many people, including myself, do not expect any less from them at this point. Um, yeah. And this was just basically like what felt like half an hour, but it was more, I think, closer to, what, 12 to 15 minutes of that? Yeah, I think it was closer to 15, probably. Yeah, I mean, basically the highlights coming out of this, from what I understand, um, Ivar can control turkey legs with the Force. Um, yeah, he is, he is turkey leg sensitive. Yes, very. <laughs> um we kept. We had to go through. Um, we had to go through flashbacks multiple times to all of the vignettes of them playing basketball and bowling, and which, which to be fair, I think a lot of people didn't watch those, so I'll, I'll give them that. True. I mean, that's I, why I, I personally didn't. I fast forwarded through every <laughs> single one of those. I, I, I love both these teams, but I have no patience for this nonsense. No, I don't. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. I think the what got more egregious is whenever um, near the end of the match, whenever um, you had the referee come up and look at them, and basically we had the flashback in Ivar's head again of all the times where the women at these events said that he was cute and that Eric wasn't, and they and had to yeah, show every cute, clip of it. You not so much, and they had exactly. to show every single callback. So we understand Ugh. that it's a callback to 15 different things and then give us the callback. <laughs> just... And and poor Jessica Carr to have gone from, you know, groundbreaking first female referee in WWE. And now she's got this nonsense. And, you know, to her, to her credit, she did it as well as she could. But again, just complete nonsense. And then apparently there was... You know, then the trash came to life, and there was an alligator tail. It's it, there were so many things. And I couldn't even honestly, I couldn't tell if that was a gator tail or if it was supposed to be like a tentacle at that point. Potentially both. I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, something was in the dumpster. And something, yeah, something was alive. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps they were making another callback to Star Wars since he's turkey-like sensitive. This was the trash compactor scene or something. I don't know. That was my first thought too, but I just I don't I mm, any anyway, but that's all that's all the 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 frosting around the cake of um the racist stereotype of Akira Tozawa <laughs> as who, a, who was really leaning into the nonsense of it and truly hilarious despite the fact that it was such a terrible thing. Yeah, um, just being as absurd as possible. Uh, and then, you know, we had the big scary ninja. Yeah, I, I'll be, I'll be real. I don't know who the big scary ninja is. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a developmental talent that they have down there. It, it is a developmental talent. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's not one who's been on TV. 
Yeah. Uh, he had worked some house shows with Malcolm Bevins as his uh, manager. Oh, okay. Um, I believe he's a uh, college basketball star um, prior to coming to WWE. As far as I can tell, he was hired because he's enormous. Um, Checks and out. Maybe a capable wrestler by this point, but his story so far has been that he's enormous. Um, I did see, uh, I can't remember who it was, but someone on Twitter made the joke of that if he ever, if that competitor ever has, you know, a real star making part of his career, then basically we'll look back on this as his Deacon Batista phase <laughs> where he was given absolute garbage and had to try and make something out of it. Yeah. I don't know who it was on Twitter, but someone like immediately after that segment aired, someone threw out the image of Ron Reese as the super giant ninja uh, from super WCW. And I was just like, this is just too good. Yeah. Too good of a comparison. But, but yeah, um, Akira Tozawa having fun with it aside, like this is just, this was horrendous. Terrible. Just garbage. Just, just, oh God. I don't even, I do, I, I don't even know how they could see this as, good at this point it, it that's what happens when you have two old white guys as bruce pritchard and vince mcmahon making all the decisions mm. and Heyman, for his flaws because he is not perfect and he's definitely got some flaws in the way he books women at times mm -hmm. um but he was at least pushing for genuine diversity on raw and you know not characters like this but this is clearly Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon's style of humor. And, you know, as they would say, political correctness be damned. Of course. I mean, let's not forget, Bruce Pritchard still thinks that the Kai and Tai gimmick, where they overdubbed them, like, was a funny idea. Yeah, and left, left to uh, truly groundbreaking television, you know, Potentially Emmy nominated stuff like Choppy Choppy PP. Yep. <sighs> Wrestling's so weird sometimes. It is. It's very weird. And boy, do we have to sometimes wade through some garbage to get to the good stuff because there's good stuff, there's great stuff, and then there's this. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very, it's actually a fitting uh, description that you have there, Patches, because we had to wade through this to get to our final match of the night. What was uh, poised to be the greatest pro wrestling match ever. Randy Orton and Edge. A 45-minute clinic, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm um, curious to get your thoughts on this one. So, uh, terrible... Uh promotion aside the fact that they really kind of set them up to fail going in by marketing this as the greatest wrestling match ever in this ridiculous manner um despite all of that randy orton and edge gave us something really special um unfortunately it's going to come with the caveat of no it's not the greatest wrestling match ever there are better wrestling matches it's still an amazing wrestling match it's easily five stars and really probably randy's best match no i could definitely agree with you on that like i tr I tried to rack my brain after watching that to to try and think of a better randy orton performance 
And the closest I came was uh, a match that he had with Shelton Benjamin at like Bad Blood 2004. And even then, it the, doesn't touch this. The only thing I think is comparable and is hard to compare because it's not a singles match is the triple threat with Batista and Daniel Bryan. Yes, that that is a very that one, and then the uh, the six man falls count anywhere with the shield against Evolution. I think those are the two two that yeah. that stood out that stand out now. Two, also, two great ones, but also not singles matches. So I think easily this could very comfortably be called Randy Orton's greatest singles match. And Randy Orton, to his credit, when he cares, when he's invested, he's almost untouchable. And he's firing on all cylinders right now. He's completely into what they're doing, and he's really doing great stuff because of it. No, he definitely is, and I love that they that that played into the build up to this match as well. Like the fact that Randy Orton actually went on the mic and addressed that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, I've been mm-hmm. phoning it in for twenty years, and I'm still one of the best to ever do it. You know, yeah. like it's, it speaks wonders to like how Randy Orton's it's self-perception a, has evolved over time. Yeah, it's it's amazing how aware they are at times, considering how completely unaware they can be at other times. Yeah, definitely. Um, moving to Edge, though, like knowing uh, obviously, I, I don't know what what was your opinion of the the WrestleMania match between the two. I think the WrestleMania match did not deserve nearly the criticism it got. Mm-hmm. I do think it went on too long. I think it could have been 10 minutes shorter. Um, I think that one specific spot should not have happened. Yes. Uh, the the weight machine hanging thing, which was not exactly well-timed, considering it was right after the Chris Benoit Dark Side of the Ring thing came out. Mm-hmm. Um. But even barring those issues, I thought that was a fine match. I thought it was an intense match. Um, I I see a lot of I've seen a lot of criticism of the way that um, certain matches have kind of have this veneer of you know wrestlers doing terrible things and then feeling remorse in the moment. You know why would you dare make me do this? And kind of have that look on their face. And I've seen a lot of people criticize that, but I think it's been really powerful. And I think this was an example of that, where Edge, you could see and you could feel he didn't want to go this far. He just wanted to have a match, but Randy had pushed him this far. And I thought that was still, you know, even for being a little too long, um, a great match. I think this one at Backlash was better. Definitely. Um, oh, and it was yeah. fantastic to see Edge back in his element because as as great as Edge has been in a couple of, you know, extreme things, whether it be TLC or um, his legendary match with Foley, um, Edge is at his best when he Edge is at his best when he's just wrestling. And that's really what we got here. Unfortunately, due to retapes, he tore his tricep. Yeah. Um, the good news on that is that he's apparently already had surgery that was successful. Um, and Edge is also completely inhuman when it comes to recovery time. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him back before SummerSlam. Um, 
because the man came back from an Achilles tear in the blink of an eye. So considering the only thing he really has to focus on right now is get better so he can get back in the ring. Um, I don't think the Achilles, the uh, tricep tear is going to keep him off the shelf that long. I mean, I think that's, that's the hope right now, especially coming out of this match, because like this sets up perfectly for another, another contest down the line. And yeah. And as happy as I was with it, um, I would now like to see edge versus literally anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Because when edge came back, that's what we wanted. We, no one wanted the match we saw in 2009. You know, we got a little nostalgia on the rumble and then we got this long drawn out thing with Randy Orton and, and just, I've seen it. It was good. But I don't need to see it again, ever. Give me anybody else, literally anyone else on the roster. <laughs> that actually begs the question: who Who do you think would be the your number one choice to put Edge in the ring against whenever he comes back from this? Oh, it's, it's a very easy choice for me. It's Seth Rollins. Mm. Um, it's it feels like the perfect pick. Edge is all cylinders as a babyface right now, truly beloved. And Rollins is coming back into his own as a heel. And if you go back and look at the history that they have, um, when Rollins was WWE champion, I don't, I don't know if he was WWE champion yet, but it was during his Money in the Bank phase after he had left the Shield during the authority period where he threatened to break Edge's neck in a segment on Raw in like 2015. And now Edge is finally back. And it feels like that's the perfect foil for him. You know, as Rollins is right now, you know, he's going through Mysterio and now Dominic and, you know, saying that these are all sacrifices. What bigger target is there right now than Edge once he's ready to come back? And so I think Rollins versus Edge at SummerSlam is ideal. Hmm. I would not complain about that. I, I, I had forgotten for a split second about that the interaction between them, the one mm-hmm. of those rare times that I just come back on WWE TV. I would love to see that. I would also love to see him and Aleister Black, personally. Yeah, like that I think that that just seems like custom built for for a knockdown drag out. Fight. Yeah, and um, on the quick note of Rollins, uh, I do hope, I genuinely hope that Dominic Mysterio is about to turn on his dad and join Seth Rollins. I mean that because it it feels like such an interesting way, and it, it almost feels kind of choreographed at this point. But at the same time, it would be such an interesting turn, and helps Dominic establish himself as himself. Mm-hmm. Because you can only be Ray's son for so long. Yeah, and I think that's that's the perfect move to make. I think that's the move they are going to make. Even the thing about wrestling, like yes, there are plenty of things that are telegraphed in 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 this industry. Like you can really read a room, you know, mm-hmm. regarding sort of things. Sort of coming thing. exactly, but even whenever they do land, it still has an impact. The good ones of yeah. those, they still have that impact. And I think Dominic joining Seth Rollins' little crew would be just pitch perfect right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think that would be that. God, there's that's that's what bums me out so much about Heyman being taken out. Like, you know, 
there's plenty to criticize about Paul Heyman, like you said before, but Raw but actually had an interesting direction. And and yeah, Raw had interesting direction in a lot of uh, places, and that's something that he would have really taken to and done well. Exactly. And make sure it got done well. Well, uh, that was uh, WWE Backlash 2020. Um, any um, overall final thoughts on the show itself? Before we, or um, where do you think things might be heading after this? Or um, Overall, I think there was fun stuff on the show. Um, I think a lot of it outperformed the storylines that were heading into it. Um, Seamus and Jeff Hardy did. Uh, McIntyre and Lashley did and Orton and Edge both did um, because while some of their promos leading into it were good it being given this ridiculous greatest wrestling match ever billing before it ever happened was not good um, and apparently reportedly Edge thought they were ribbing him when he was told about that which really shows you how dumb it is that he did not think they were serious um, and then realized he was going to have to try and live up to that. Um, despite some of those things, I think there was still great stuff, and overall, not a bad show. I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think it's a very like middle of the road show for me personally. But like the last mm-hmm. two matches, um, really redeemed it a lot for me. Um, up until then, it just felt like an episode of Raw. And yeah, and I like. Drew and, and Bobby really surprised me. And then Edge and Orton, like, I knew it was going to be good going in. I didn't know it was going to be that good. Obviously yeah. not the greatest wrestling match ever, but you, it was never going no. to be that. Because <laughs> their names aren't Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I liked it for the most part. I think it's just, it's very much felt like a second half show. But um, I don't know. We'll see yeah. what happens going forward. And, you know, overall, not too surprising that this this event, considering everything that's going on and kind of where they're at in the interim between WrestleMania and SummerSlam was going to be kind of middle of the road. Um, mm-hmm. I am curious to see where they go with Extreme Rules. Uh, there's definitely some, you know, seeds that seem like they could be, have, have already been planted. We could see a rematch between Asuka and Nia Jax. We could see Sheamus and Jeff again, or we could see Sheamus going for the title. Um, I do hope we get, ooh, now I know what we want. I want a triple threat ladder match between the Street Profits, the Viking Raiders, and Angel Garza and Andrade. That's what I want. That's my wish list ooh, for Tringles. That would be good. I slapped my money down. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, we we can talk a little bit about Raw, just a tiny touch on it, because there was like the big angle on Raw um, Monday night was uh, Randy Orton and Christian, um, where basically he laid out Christian with a punt the same way he did to Edge the night before. Um, yeah, there's been obviously I Christian should not wrestle anymore um, for you know, obvious reasons with his uh, lengthy concussion issues, but Mm -hmm. um, there's been some speculation, including from Booker T, that Christian might be wrestling at Extreme Rules. I really hope that that is wrong. 
so I have really mixed feelings about this um, yeah. because I adore Christian. Edge and Christian have been one of my like my favorites since they were a team. They were among my favorites when I very first got into wrestling in 2000, 2001. And so the idea of getting Christian back in the ring really, really excites me. At the same time, I don't want him to get hurt. Now, that said, I trust Randy to protect him. And I trust that Christian would never do this if he didn't feel like he could. I, I don't think they'd be doing what they did on Raw if he didn't feel like this was doable and safe. And so as much as I, you know, it's the same thing when Edge came back. When Edge came back, every time he took a bump at first, I cringed. Because as a competitor, I love him. And I don't want him to get hurt. But to a certain extent, I want to try and, again, step back and trust Christian to make the call that if he's ready, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I guess I have that same worry. And I think that's why I, as much as I would love to see it happen, I just, I, I err more on the, the side of just playing it safe and just not just putting that thought out of my head at this point. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just, I, I don't know what I would do with myself if he came back and got hurt even more severely than he already is. I mean, I yeah. don't know. It's certainly not what I want to happen, but if, you know, if we're going to see him have one more run in some facet, then, you know, as far as safe, reliable workers, there's not much better than Randy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's a logical choice there. So and And someone that clearly they've got the history, not only from the immediate history of Edge, but Randy and Christian have history from Christian's world title reign. And so I think there's something there if that's what they want to do, if, if they have the willingness to actually, you know, realize that they have a memory and they have history that they can call back to. Mm-hmm. And extreme rules will be the best place to do it. Cause you can put them in a match where you can really disguise some of the, the, the limitations that might be there with Christian. Yeah. I mean, we could even, if we wanted to, they could just go cinematic. Yeah. Them. They've done one every every event since so Mania. Yeah. And I certainly would be opposed to it. Um, plus, that would be definitely a way to be extra safe with Christian. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So many possibilities, honestly. Yeah. There's so many avenues there. But um, for now – oh, sorry. Go ahead. When I was going to say the other uh, big angle on Raw – was Big Show's back, I guess. Oh, Maybe for God. now, who knows? <laughs> He's come back to fight the, the what was it, the, the large ninja? The, the big ninja. The big ninja. <sighs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to react to it. It's so bad. It's, I, I was really hoping that all that dumb ninja, Akira Tozawa, big ninja stuff was somehow going to not extend past Backlash. I was hoping that was going to be a one-off, and yet here we are. Um, and unfortunately, it's continuing. Uh, I don't know why Big Show is there. It just seems dumb and random. Um, and it's very clear they just did it because big guy plus big guy equals big money. No. I mean, it's Vince. Um, if Vince can get the big guys in the ring. 
And of course that's what he wants. Um, yeah. And I, I sure Pritchard is right there with him or else he wouldn't be employed any longer. You're not wrong. More excited for Christian possibilities and, you know, what MVP is doing and all that to play out. Yes. Just give me like a half hour of MVP every Raw and I'll be fine. Yeah. And kudos to R-Truth for a fun bit of nonsense on Raw. (laughs) And a win. Yes. Yes. And he needed someone to believe in him and Drew believed in him. And I'm happy to see that. It's so nice. Like the the positive things on on these shows are just radiate so much whenever you compare it to the the rest of it. Yeah. They stand out because they really are kind of lonesome. (laughs) Well, Patches, I appreciate you coming on the show to run through Backlash with me this week. Mm -hmm. Let everybody know where they can find you online. Um. Thank you again for having me. Everyone can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and my website is Patches Chance. Uh, website's patcheschance.com. And you can find me at Daily DDT and Bell to Bells. Um, and I'll go ahead and throw out, keep an eye out. I've got one coming out with MV Young soon that should be a fantastic read, interview with him. Nice. MV Young, friend of the show, always interesting. Whenever he gets to speak his mind. My thanks once again to uh, to Patches Chance for coming on the show this week and discussing Backlash with me. Um, definitely check out his stuff over at Daily DDT and uh, Bell to Bells. Um, always stellar interviews there coming out from Patches. Um, awesome stuff. Um, that is where we're going to end things for today, though. Real quick before we do go, though... Um, a couple of uh, congratulations are in order uh, from us here at LGBT in the Ring, as well as the Greater Outsports family. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm allowed to do that. I hope so. Um, <laughs> uh, would like to offer congratulations to two pro wrestlers who came out uh, publicly in, over the past couple of weeks. Um, first off, uh, Primetime Pro Wrestling Heavyweight Champion, uh, the Big Bad Kaiju O'Shea Edwards. And um, one half of the Bird and the Bee tag team, Solo Darling. Um, congratulations to both of y'all for being able to live your truth. And as the Outsport tagline goes, courage truly is contagious. It's a bright spot. It's an awesome bright spot this week within the pro wrestling world. With that, let's uh, say some thank yous and get on out of here. Um, first off, we do have to thank Daniel Quasar for our Progress Pride Flag design and our logo. The Progress Pride Flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And of course, a big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for our theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSWBand. And you can check out their music on Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. And if you're into video games, I do also host a gaming news podcast alongside a couple of my close friends and fellow Twitch streamers, SlackerKite and Lady Merwin. That show is called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. It airs live 
every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over on twitch.tv slash Entertainment. That's Sun with a U, not an O. Um, it's basically just a fun little 90 minutes to 2 hours a week where we break down the gaming news of the past 7 days as well as give our own uh, critiques, analysis, and um, whatever else <laughs> ridiculousness that comes out of our mouths. Um, I don't know. It's always a fun time. I always have a blast. It's one of the highlights of my week. Um, and I think it would be a highlight for your week as well. So if you feel so moved, check it out. Every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Um, but with that, we will say goodbye for the week. Um, but until we meet again, uh, stay messy, wash your hands. If you haven't seen Minoru Suzuki versus Yuji Nagata yet, do yourself a favor and watch Minoru Suzuki versus Yuji Nagata. And we'll see you next week. Everybody's ready to die. Bye.